Thank you, worship team. Am I on? Yeah, good. And I love that song, Abide With Me. It is my prayer every day and every night that Jesus stays with me. And uh, I many, many times sing that to my son as I'm rocking him to sleep. And uh, it's that abiding with Jesus that we come here to celebrate today. And uh, so, just uh, as way of introduction, we've been going through uh, the Psalms for the summer. And so, last week, we actually went through a kind of a lesser known Psalm. It's Psalm 33, and it was all about praise, and it was about using your whole body to get into worshiping God and praising Him and praising Him loudly. And today, we turn to Psalm 23, which in many ways is kind of the opposite of Psalm 33. It's probably the most well-known psalm. It's the most quoted psalm by almost every Christian pastor. It's, instead of being loud and exuberant, it's quiet and gentle. And it just drips with peace. So, that's what we're going to be studying today. Let's go to God in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Father, Lord, we thank you that you have called us here today to worship you. That you have called us here today to experience a rest and a peace in you that transcends everything else that we could run to for peace and rest. We know, Lord, that you are so good to give us this space, to give us this time to rejuvenate our souls, Feel that rest in you. We praise you for that, Lord. As we turn to your word today, Lord, we, we pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, illumine our minds and open our hearts to the great truth that you are our shepherd and our friend and that you are with us always. And that you use this sermon to drill that into our heart so that we appreciate it in ways that we've never appreciated it before. Jesus, we know that it is truly you that lead us in worship. It's truly you through your word that reveals the face of God to us. We pray you reveal it to us now. It is in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So, like I was saying, today we're doing Psalm 23. And this is, uh, like many of the Psalms, a Psalm of David. So, so David wrote, uh, well, he's attributed to about 73 Psalms. And he probably wrote a handful of others that are untitled. Um, so about half of the Psalter is attributed to him. And... David, he kind of had a little bit of a turbulent life, so he was called by God out of being a shepherd 
So he was a shepherd, uh, son of Jesse. And Samuel came to him after King Saul fell in the Lord's sight because he rebelled against the Lord. And Samuel anointed David as the future king. And that was kind of the beginning of David's entry into the, the nation of Israel. And from there, it was not uh, too long before he took on Goliath and became the savior of Israel. People started writing songs about him. And King Saul started getting more and more jealous about him. And so he sent him on dangerous missions. And he'd send him on the most dangerous missions that he could find, hoping that David would die on those missions. But of course, David didn't die because the Lord was with him. And the Lord had plans for him. And so David's fame grew. And people wrote more songs about David. And Saul became even more jealous. And eventually, he forced David into exile and started hunting him, trying to kill him because he couldn't stand that David was better esteemed in his kingdom than he was. And it's really at that time that we come to this psalm. Many commentators think that it was during that time while David is on the run, after he's been anointed as the king, but before he's actually taken the throne, that he wrote this psalm. And that's honestly kind of profound if you think about it because I think most of us know Psalm 23 and we know that it just barely drips with peace and tranquility and security and yet David when he's writing it is on the run and I think that as we look at our own turbulent times that that's really what we want we want that same sense of peace we want to be dripping with God's tranquility and it's in this psalm that God kind of addresses that so let's go ahead and read it please stand as we do so I know we don't normally stand to read scripture but uh, I'm kind of old-fashioned like I said and I, uh, I enjoy that so Psalm 23 a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. To prepare, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. All men are like grass and all their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. It stands forever. Please be seated. So today we're going to be looking at three things, three things that David used to ground that sense of peace in this psalm. And we're going to be looking at the care of God, we're going to be looking at the protection of God, and we're going to be looking at finally the friendship of God. So 
the care of God, protection of God, friendship of God. So what does David tell us here about how God cares for us? Well, David here is kind of picking up on this uh, image of the Lord as a shepherd. And so Joseph, all the way back in Genesis, is telling people that God is like a shepherd and actually names him the great shepherd. And David hears this, remembers it, and starts kind of riffing off of that because he knows what it means to be a shepherd because he was a shepherd for a long time. And so he starts trying to understand his relationship with God by understanding his relationship with his sheep. And so in this image, God is the shepherd and David is the sheep. And David knows, first off, that sheep are nervous, stupid, willful creatures that wander off they will not stay where you put them. It is very hard to make them lie down. If you read any of the commentators on this, they're going to nail this down really quickly, that sheep have a really hard time laying down. Three, time, uh, three things really kind of need to be in place to convince a sheep that it's okay to actually lay down. Otherwise, they will stand even when they sleep. And those three things, they have to be fed, they have to be full, wanting no food. They have to have water so that they're not thirsty. And they have to feel safe. Nobody can really be around that the sheep don't know. And that's what it takes for sheep to lie down. And so David is thinking to himself, the Lord is my provision. The Lord cares for me like a shepherd, and he makes sure that I have everything that I need, everything that I need in order to feel safe, secure, everything that I need in order to lie down. If we look at verse 3, he kind of pegs down how the Lord does that. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's not only that the Lord is constantly caring for him, it's that the Lord is actually leading him, and he's leading him in a righteous path. He's teaching him his commandments. He's teaching David his commandments, that is. And he's teaching David who he is as a person. And this is obedience to the law. It's... it's uh, Obedience to the law and who God is is part and parcel to how he cares for his people because he wants good things for his people. Excuse me. Sorry, I had a really dry throat there. So, because this is his care for his people, David can trust where the Lord is leading him, even if it's hard even if it's a hard place that the Lord happens to have him. One of the reasons that it's comforting for David here that the Lord is leading him, one of the comforts of that is that it's the Lord does it for his namesake. He doesn't do it because David is good. 
He doesn't do it because David is perfect. He doesn't do it because David keeps the law. He doesn't do it for any reason except that the Lord is good, kind, merciful, gentle. And he loves David. And that's comforting to us too because it means that the Lord as our shepherd, he is our shepherd because he loves us. He's not our shepherd because of our record, of our of our righteousness. No, he instead teaches us his righteousness. So another part of that is another part of feeling safe is feeling like we're protected against all enemies. You know, that's that's one of the things that sheep need in order to actually rest in God, to rest uh, in the pasture, to lie down. And so, we're kind of removed, a lot of us, from what it means to be a shepherd. Just because of our modern life, you know, I doubt any of us actually know any shepherds of sheep. Raise your hand if you do. Marry a one? No. And so, because of that, it's kind of removed from our, our cultural mindset of the role of the shepherd and kind of how the tools of shepherding play out. And so, looking at verse 4, at the very end, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that meant something to David. The rod, we'll get to in a second, the shepherd's staff, that was really kind of like the shepherd's crook whenever you see a shepherd in any of, you know, any of the paintings, you know, they always have this long staff that hooks over and that was their way of controlling the sheep. It was their way of leading them where they wanted them to go. And so they would take the hook and they would hook it around the sheep's neck and pull them back. They would push the sheep with it. And that was a comfort to David because it meant that wherever he went, even if it was in the valley of the shadow of death. It was because the Lord was leading him there. The rod that's being talked about, that would be more like a short club, about like that. And it it was used to defend the sheep against predators, against wolves and lions and bears and wild dogs. We kind of see that in David's story if we look at his interaction with Saul while he's, you know, trying to get Saul to approve him fighting Goliath, David says to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb from the flock, I went out after him, and I attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. And that was the purpose of the rod. It was to protect the sheep. A few years back, I I was listening to uh, a friend of mine relay a story that he had heard from a friend of his, and I I don't remember his friend's name, but I'm just going to call him Bob because I don't know any Bobs, and that's a a good, good enough name. And Bob, you know, about 40 years ago, went on a tour of the Holy Land. So he's 
off in Israel, and he, he's, you know, those Holy Land tours, they start you off in kind of, you know, maybe Capernaum or, you know, someplace in Galilee, and then they kind of drive you up and hit all the nice touristy spots as you go to Jerusalem. And he was in a town outside of Jerusalem that was a fairly small town, and they got off the bus, and he, he wanted to experience some of the local cuisine, and so he started looking around for a food vendor. And he found one pretty quickly, and he was about to get in line, and then he stopped. And he stopped because he saw somebody that looked like Rambo in the line. This guy had a knife on his belt on one side, a gun on his belt on the other, an assault rifle slung behind his back, and bandoliers of bullets across his chest. And, of course, he became kind of cautious. We'll, we'll, we'll call it cautious. And he turns to the tour guide and he says... Can you tell me about that guy? Like, um, is that guy safe? Like, is, is he maybe part of the military? Can I trust him? And the, the tour guy just kind of broke out into a little bit of a smile, and he said, no, he, he's perfectly fine. He's a shepherd. And Bob's like, what? Why is a shepherd armed like Rambo. And the tour guide says he doesn't want anyone touching his sheep. And so Bob starts here wrestling and rethinking what it means to be a shepherd because what he had in his mind, because he grew up in uh, America, hearing Little Bo Peep, that's what he thought of. Somebody who is quiet, demure, maybe hardworking, often a field with a staff, calmly guiding the sheep around, maybe had a sheepdog. And he began to think, no, Little Bo Peep really isn't quite the image that I should be thinking of. I should be thinking less of Little Bo Peep and more of John Wayne. So if you take nothing else away from this sermon, Take this away. A shepherd in scripture is going to be much more like a cowboy than little Bo Peep. So why do I say that? It's because that's the grounding, that's the background for why David can go through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. It's not because God is there as little Bo Peep kind of nudging him along. It's no, because God is there as a shepherd, as a cowboy, as somebody who would have bandoliers of bullets ready to defend his flock against predators. That's why he can fear no evil, because no evil can befall him that God doesn't intend. The only things that can actually touch him are the things that God permits to come through. And he knows that God is a loving God, a good God.
And that's where our confidence starts too. So the thing is, David could have stopped there when he was writing the psalm. Okay? He had a very powerful cultural image of a protector and a guide. And he could have stopped there if that's all he wanted to communicate. But he didn't stop there. No, he went on. And he starts talking about God as if God is a friend of his. He changes the metaphor. God is no longer just a shepherd. He's David's friend. And so in verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. You know, commentators are kind of split about the oil thing. They don't really know what it means specifically. But one thing that they do know is that in the ancient Near East, you know, there were two common practices of anointing with oil. The first was anointing a king with oil, kind of proclaim his kingship. And we actually see that happening to David, like I said earlier. And so maybe he was thinking about that. There was also another practice. It was any time anybody was on, on a long journey and they had come home or come to the house of a friend, they would be anointed with oil because they had been out in the wilderness for a long time and their skin was dry, sunburns, had dust all over them. And anointing him with oil would soothe his skin as he came into the house. It would also clean him up. The cup overflowing kind of served a little bit of the same purpose. Whenever someone came after such a long journey, they would be given wine. And they'd be given wine not just as a celebration, but because wine would soothe their throat because they would have been out breathing dust all day or weeks or months, however long they were out. And David is saying here that his cup is overflowing. God's provision for him as a friend isn't just a meager provision. It's not just something that barely satisfies his needs. It's something that overflows. God is so lavish in providing for David's needs. So, so what? You know, I, I, I hear you saying, I understand all of this, and I understand that this was David's conception of God, and this is how David thought of God, and he got a lot of peace out of this, but Jason you know, I hear that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and yet I still feel something lacking. Or I hear that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, but I still feel evil, fear evil. I still feel it very palpably around me, and it's kind of hard not to fear it. So what do we say? I think the key 
to how we can want for nothing and fear nothing and be ultimately at peace is in the last verse. It's verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's looking back on his life, short though it was at this point, and even though he's on the run, he's saying that God's goodness and mercy have been following him. He's been categorizing everything that's happened to him in light of God's goodness and mercy. He's convinced that he'll dwell in God's house forever, no matter what happens. So David is resting his lack of want, his lack of restlessness, and his lack of fear of evil on God's goodness and mercy and the fact that he's going to spend eternity with God. And what does that tell us about his sense of identity here? And Jesus says, the servant does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. It's John chapter 8 that he says that. And it seems like David has shifted even from thinking of himself as a friend, that's not enough. He's now thinking of himself as a child of God. He started out as a sheep, and then as a friend, and then as a child. And that needs to be our grounding too. So let's look at it from the New Testament perspective. How, how do we know that we're children of God? So Jesus in John chapter 10 says that he is the good shepherd. He identifies himself as the good shepherd. He lays claim to that title. And he says he's the one that lays down his life for the sheep. And so he lays down his life, of course, for you, for every Christian, for every person who calls out in the name of Jesus, he lays his life down for you. He goes on to say that all of the sheep, all of his sheep, hear his voice. And when they hear his voice, they come because they are his sheep. And that's what sheep do. And so if you have heard Jesus' voice, then are his but he goes even beyond that he says that they're safe with him he goes on to say that nobody can snatch them out of his hand that with him as the shepherd there is complete and utter safety he doesn't even stop there though he tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. In John chapter 15 and John 16, he says he's preparing a place for us that we might spend eternity with him. And he promises us in the interim to give us his Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, to come and dwell with us so that we might be one as he is one with the Father. And we might be one with him. And that is ultimately our safety and security. The fact that God himself now dwells in us. God himself has taken up a residence with us. Everywhere we go, no matter what valley we go into in the shadow of death, he is there with us. But Jesus doesn't even stop there. 
because he is the true son. And so while we might fear to go into the valley of the shadow of death, he actually went into death for us. He went into death so that we didn't have to fear death. He robbed death of its sting. He rose to newness of life that he might grant us eternal life as well and secure it forever. And that is our hope and that is our peace and that is the only thing that is going to sustain us as we go through the trials of life is that God himself wasn't content to have a sheep, wasn't content to have a servant, no. He needed children. He wanted children with him. So what do we do? What do we do when the fear of the trials come, when the fear of the valley comes, when we feel a want that doesn't seem to be satisfied in Jesus? We go back to the gospel. We preach to ourselves. No, Jesus has done it all. And anything that I don't have is because he hasn't given it to me, which means it's not good for me to have it right now. And so we don't lack anything because everything that we need has been given by him. We don't fear the valley of the shadow of death because God himself, Jesus himself, has already defeated death. And though we might walk in the valley of the shadow, there's nothing to fear. And we preach that to ourselves day in, day out. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you were not content to leave us alone. You were not content to leave us simply as sheep. You were not content even to have us as your servant. No, Lord. You loved us so much that you colluded with the Son to bring about our eternal redemption that we might forever rest in your presence and in your goodness that we might dwell in your house and sing your praises forever thank you so much father and jesus we thank you for coming we thank you that when you saw us you said to the father lord i have to have my brothers and sisters with me it is not acceptable to me that they should die. Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that when Jesus sent you upon the world, that you began the quiet work of converting a people to yourself. And you took up residence in our hearts and began to tie us tightly to Jesus and guiding our path as we walk. 
We thank you that through your presence, enduring in us and dwelling in us, that we always walk with you, even if it doesn't feel like it, that we are always with you and you are always with us because you are making us one with our great brother, our glorious Savior and Redeemer, Jesus.